Welcome to the Center Seat After Show. Join us each week with director Brian Volk Weiss and professors Mary Jo and John Tenuto as they invite special guests to examine each episode of the documentary series that celebrates the 55th anniversary of one of the greatest landmark franchises of all time, Star Trek. Enjoy this sneak peek, and don't forget to listen to full episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. The Center Seat After Show is a Nacellecast original. Incoming transmission. You're listening to the Center Seat After Show, hosted by Brian Volkweiss, Mary Jo Tenuto, and John Tenuto. All drive systems and plasma relays are standing by. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Center Seat After Show. Uh, beyond surreal and crazy and awesome, uh, we have Nicholas Meyer. I am actually looking at him right now. And uh, he is the guest for our fourth episode. Uh, and the main point of exploring episode four, the center seat, which is called Trek Goes to the Movies. Uh, so that's, you know, that's the main thing that we're doing here. I, for those of you that don't know this, which I would imagine is almost everybody, um, you know, first of all, it's our fourth episode. I am here with the Tenudos, Mary, Joe, and John Tenuto. How are you doing this evening, afternoon, morning? Well, thank you. How about you? I'm all right. You good, John? Doing great. Excellent. And we have Nicholas Myers. I mean, this is crazy, but he's uh, he's in our studio and uh, he is our honored guest. I am holding a copy of his new book, The Return of the Pharaoh by Nicholas Meyer, author. It says this on the cover, author of The 7% Solution. Uh, so we'll get more into this as we go along, but I wanted to bring it up early. You know, I I, I've, I've told this story a few times. I, I told John this. I don't know if I told you this, Mary Jo, but um, when we interviewed Nicholas for the 50th anniversary, so after we had gone through everything and I got to ask you about the con baby, which I'd wanted to do my whole life, basically after the interview was over, I, um, I tried to tell you that um, your words, I don't believe in the no-win scenario, uh, had a very profound impact uh, on my life, which is an understatement, actually. It's literally in my will that that will be written on my tombstone, which not sure how much my wife feels about that, but uh, it is That's in awesome. the will. She got some stuff in her will, so we're even. Uh, but um, my company is called the Nacelle Company. I mean, you had a, a beyond bonkers uh, impact on my life personally. So... I First think of, that's good to hear, but I'm not entirely sure I wish to assume responsibility for so much of your life. So far, so good. But, uh, and I told you, it's not just my career. I mean, my personal life as well. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, just like everybody who's ever lived, I've had moments that the only reason they were not no-win scenarios was because I kept fighting and turned them into winnable scenarios. So in the in my private life, just as much as my public life. So 
I'm glad I got through all that without crying because I hope you don't mind me saying this, but when we did the interview, once I was done with the interview and I'm glad I was smart enough to wait, I did tell you what I just said right now and I did not get through it without crying. Uh, and I got oh. very embarrassed by that. But luckily for me, you got, uh, I was very shocked. You got a little uh, uh, emotional as well. I'm a big cry baby. As am I, by the way. Not in real life though, oddly. Only when I uh, watch movies, TV shows or meet my idols. But then I was embarrassed because I was like, oh, the crew, they were crying too. Literally, when I walked out here kind of sheepishly, like, yeah, half the crew was in tears and like wiping tears out of their eyes. So that was a very special episode of The Center Seat. So I want to jump right into it because after we did our interview, I got to do one of the greatest interviews of all time. And that was with Kirstie Alley. And Kirstie Alley, I want to I want to tell you about the interview. I'm going to tell you what she said, and then I'm curious to get your response to that. By the way, I told you. Did I tell you my Shatner story? Did I get? Did to I tell, tell you that? that Richard Clark teaches the no-win scenario, the Kobayashi Maru syndrome? No, you didn't. That doesn't surprise me, but you did not. Apparently, he teaches it. Have you Have you attended? No, but I heard him talk in Hollywood five, six years ago. I think it was at the Directors Guild. I'm not 100% sure, but he talked about teaching the Kobayashi Maru scenario. What, like, what is it like for you 30 plus years later hearing like, I mean, that line, I don't believe, the whole premise of the Kobayashi Maru, the whole line, I don't believe in though it faced death, Kirk to Spock, it's been two hours, blah, blah, blah. Was that something you spent days figuring it out or did you just bang it out and drop the script off? All right, I'm going to tell you about the no-win scenario. And in the process, I'm gonna tell you about a lot of other things. Most of my answers, as you probably know, are long-winded. Which is good. Well, well, for you, not for everybody, but it's good it's, with you. That's why the cameraman starts falling asleep. <laughs> uh, but the fact of the matter is I didn't, dream up the Kobayashi Maru scenario. Originally, my Star Trek II script, known as The Wrath of Khan, was cobbled together from five other scripts. And while most of the dialogue in the final script, in The Wrath of Khan, most of it is mine. Some lines are Harv Bennett, the producers. Most of it, the dialogue is mine, but since I didn't know anything about Star Trek when I started this, I had never watched it, etc. I took elements that the producers and I agreed upon. The Kobe Murashi scenario, Kirk meets Khan, Kirk finds out about his son, the Genesis Project, Lieutenant Savick, the simulator sequence. These were all spread higgledy-piggledy over five different Star Trek screenplays, which were attempts to get a second Star Trek movie. And all of them were regarded as unsatisfactory. And it was my idea, for better or worse, to sit down with a legal pad and make a list with Bob Salen and Harv Bennett of what we liked in any of these five scripts. And then I undertook 
to somehow weave as many of them together. I, I may not have weaved all of them. There may have been some that you know we wrote down and I couldn't figure out. And I was working under time constraints because the special effects house, Industrial Light and Magic, said that unless at this point they had a screenplay of some kind to work from in 12 days, they could not guarantee delivery of the shots in time for the June opening of the movie, to which my response was, what, what June opening? It was only the second movie I'd ever directed, and it came as a shock to me to learn that the movie had been booked into theaters before there was a movie. And that's, as they say, another story. But the Kobayashi Maru scenario, the no-win scenario, was a given from one of these scripts. Kirk's line, I don't believe in the no-win scenario, that's mine, for better or worse. Well, I would vote for better. Oh, I'm not going to argue with you. You look bigger than me. <laughs> Slightly. So thank you for explaining all that. But like, do you, are you like, oh my God, I just wrote a line that's going to change lives. Or are you just like, beep, beep, boop. And you, somebody picks up the script and brings it to the studio. It's a very interesting question. Because um, I, I ask myself, when Bizet wrote the Toreador song, did he sit back and say, I fucking nailed this. You know, in fact, what he said was, oh, well, the public wants shit, there it is. Because artists are not necessarily the best and they are certainly not objective judges of what they've done. Right. Uh, Charlotte Bronte said about Emily, who wrote, you know, the great psychotic novel, Wuthering Heights. He said, if the reader complained to my sister that the characters she had created disturbed their rest and kept them up nights uh, and upset them, I can't remember her exact words, Emily would suspect the complainant of affectation, for such was her nature and the nature of her work that she did not know what she had done. The Center Seat After Show is in a Cellcast original and produced by Brian Volk-Weiss, Mary Jo Tenuto, John Tenuto, Brian Adams, Matt Kravitsky, and Richard Myrick. Thank you for listening.